0: Well, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, I'm assuming now he's back from Vegas because it seemed like that he was watching the fever and Aaliyah Boston knocked down that game tied in three a little bit earlier today. Is that true?
1: Yes, I've been a little bit everywhere. It came back just in time to see one of the most exciting fever games in a few years.
0: Aaliyah Boston is going to be one of the best players at the WNBA very soon.
1: She's got a shot of, uh, of a historical tier of players, I think. Yeah, she's already maybe one of the best 10 players in the league and she's played 20 w games i mean it's it's ridiculous but what'd you think back to vegas to take my spot
0: so no no doubt about that tony east is with us via the andy Moore automotive group pot line from what you saw out there you know now obviously the rostered player is going to take a break and it's going to be those that have uh, yet to play in the nba here moving forward what'd you think about the showing that you saw when you were out in vegas of this pacers semi-league team
1: Yeah, the guys who are returning and that are known, I think Andrew Nembhard certainly was the guy who stood out the most. I mean, in both games, I know he had eight turnovers in the first one, which was a little ugly, but everything he did, the way he controlled the pace of the games, the way he was able to get to his spots in the mid-range, set up his teammates, I mean, he looked like one of the best guys on any team that played out there in Vegas. He was ridiculously good, which I think is encouraging for the Pacers because, one, they need to see him be good, but, two, he was doing it at point guard, right? Last year for this team, he played – off the ball a lot. He was tasked with guarding the other team's best player. Now they had him playing the one, running the show, doing stuff that you know he'll grow into with this Pacers team. I thought that was really encouraging. Matherin had some moments of forcing it a little bit, but his scoring looked great. He had six assists in the second game, which was a good growth point. And I thought his defense looked really solid in a way that was encouraging for the Pacers. And Isaiah Jackson, JMV, if you haven't seen it, uh, he's still one of the best jumping guys in the world. He was uh, he was all around the rim, grabbing those rebounds, finishing plays. So. I think they all did a little bit above expectation. In Numbart's case, a lot above expectation, uh, which is exactly what the Fishers would want to see, even though they weren't perfect.
0: uh, Tony East with us. I think most people would suggest one that may have played down to the expectations was Matherin. But I tell everybody to chill out. And this is where I start with Matherin. He still has a lot to learn. And as far as maturity is concerned, and just kind of settling down a little bit. But I love the fact that this dude, if a basketball is bouncing someplace, he's going to pick it up and play and go at anybody the same way. There aren't a lot of those dudes around. There haven't been a lot of those dudes here. And I'll fix everything else. That's the thing I never want to see go away with him. And I think, to me, it's what I like about him the most.
1: Yeah, you could even see that out there in Vegas. Like, there 20 something in their last game in the fourth quarter and he's asking JP if he can check back into the game like he just wants to play man that's his thing and you know they played that second game and we heard from Nemhard and Jackson they came and talked to us and they both said they're done playing and I assumed that Mather was done too but you can never be certain with him right there's a chance that he just has the itch and doesn't want to stop he is done but I thought that would be fascinating to know if (laughs) he was going to play again or not because that's who he is right he wants to he wants to have the ball he wants to play he wants to get better and He's reiterated it again to us out there. He wants to be the best two-way player in the league on both ends of the floor, and that's why I thought the defensive growth that he showed was was noteworthy. Even though some of the you know forcing its shots were not the prettiest, I think in general it was a positive trip for him without the shots necessarily falling.
0: And here's what I want him to learn, Tony. I want him to learn because he's going to make a lot um, going to the free throw line because he's a guy that enjoys contact, that looks for contact, and plays through contact and you watch I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Butler but that dude never gets on the officials ever because he knows that they give him that whistle offensively and those moves that he makes I just think if I'm doing anything with the Pacers right now, just no more dialogue with the officials and kind of work it as Jimmy Butler has worked it. And, you know, offensively, you're looking for that contact. And the more you get it, the more you go to the free throw line, the more you don't piss these guys off. I just think that that is, to me, that is a really smart move to make in terms of Butler. And one further down the road, I'd like to see Matherin take a hold of.
1: I agree, and it's funny that you mentioned that because we've heard Halberton talk about that before, right? Like, he used to ref to make money. His dad was a ref. So he said he knows how to game that and how to talk to them and all that kind of stuff. That's like the biggest skill he should be teaching Ben <laughs> is all that no and doubt. how to work that system, when to complain. And you know, there is a level where I always feel like when you're overdoing it, that it kind of seeps into your whole team and seeps into your game attitude. Like, you saw that with the Mavericks last year, and Doncic was seemingly complaining every two seconds about something. and. Of course he's a fantastic player, but you don't wanna see that if you're his teammate or if you're the Mavs or anything like that. And so for Ben, you know, I think sometimes he has a case certainly, but especially with the live play setting still, like you gotta get back, deal with it later. And I think I think that'll come for him because you know, his free throw rate was top fifteen in the league last year as a rookie. He's very good at getting to the line. He's just gotta, you know, dial it back and know when to fight those battles.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I completely agree with that, too. And uh, hopefully that something that is something he can learn further down the road. It's Tony East with us, Forbes Sports, WTHR.com, SI Pacers, and more with the Pacers in Summer League. So the rookie first rounders, what do you think about Walker and Shepard overall from what you saw live out there?
1: Uh, Jairus Walker was awesome. <laughs> I mean, everything that he was kind of propped up to be as like, this could be his upside He showed why people talked about it, right? The defense, he was everywhere. He was rotating from the weak side. He was snatching shots out of the air. He had a few just blow up your play kind of steals. And it's not even that he just stopped at that. It's like he played point guard a few possessions, like where he actually carried it up the floor, pushed in transition. And that just adds an extra element to his game. And it's not like that just led to a bad possession. Like he had a lob by Isaiah Jackson in one game. He had a few, he had four assists, I think, in the first game and three in the second one. I might have that backwards, but his passing looked really crisp and he showed that he has a little bit of that shot creation upside that everybody was talking about along with the defense. And I think everybody's going to correctly point to the shot. You know, it's uh, not going in yet, and he certainly uh, starts a little low with his release, but he gets him up quick. He knows when to take him. He can create a little bit himself. He's passing. He's defending. I mean, he's done everything well to me in terms of what the Pacers would want to see and feel good about in these games, and I'm really excited to see him now without Nemhard, without Mather, and without Jackson, because he'll get more chances. I think he'll have opportunities to play more positions. I think the Pacers have to feel really encouraged about what he's done so far. Ben Shepard's first game, definitely not the greatest performance from him. I think he would even admit that. He was a little lost on defense. I think he only had one point that whole game. The second one, though, you saw kind of the blueprint of what they like about him. 4-7 for deep. His defense looked a lot better. He even talked about that the following day and was comfortable finding his spots from three like moving and going to the spot where the extra pass would come just being a guy that the defense has to pay attention to so I don't know if it was first game jitters I don't know if he just isn't going to be the most consistent player right away we'll see So I think his second game was encouraging. I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do in the next one. But Walker has been the guy that, you know, you circle his name and go, this is something we've got to build on because he just was phenomenal in his two games so far.
0: So Tony East with us. So with that rumor that's been floating around the past two or three days, how deeply rooted, interested do you think the Pacers would be in terms of Pascal Siakam?
1: Yeah, I heard the Hawks part of the Siakam stuff like 10, I don't know, a while ago. Uh, The Pacers stuff is newer to the – of the rumor mill I don't think that it's as serious as it's been made out to be just because of his contract situation it does not match Pacers MO for this front office they've always been you know very careful about rentals and getting guys that are under contract for a while and knowing the right amount of assets to give up for a guy on an expiring deal and that's where this stuff with Siakam kind of hits the wall is he only has that one year left and Chris Haynes reported right after the draft. You know, he he would more than likely want to stay in Toronto going forward. You know, if you're the Pacers, unless he says he's going to sign an extension with you, you cannot commit to that unless the asset price is super cheap. So, I guess it's possible they would pursue him because he's very good. You know, he he would fit very well on their team. He can play really well in transition. He played the three last year alongside Scotty Barnes and uh, Yaka Pirtle or Coloco or whoever the Raptors happen to have at center for that game. Like, he's definitely talented and would make the Pacers better. I just think a trade's going to be so hard to come up with that actually makes sense for the Pacers unless he's willing to sign an extension. And, you know, he's eligible for a max extension. That's a lot of money, but he's only 29. So if that's on the table, yeah, they should consider it. He's very good. But I think at this stage, given what we know about it and given what makes the most sense for the Raptors, it, it doesn't seem like the Pacers would be that interested unless they know they can get him for more than just one year.
0: Doesn't it also feel as if the Pacers aren't in that situation just yet? Listen, I've been at the, uh, the forefront here of talking about how, you know, if you can win now, win now. And I'd love to see the process expedited here. But it doesn't seem like that they're in that particular neighborhood yet. Would you agree?
1: Totally, totally agree. That's why I think the extension part of it's so important too, right? Like if you are even going for him as a rental, what's the point, right? You get the – five seed instead of the seven seed or something. And, you know, like that isn't exactly what makes sense at this time, especially with you know the asset base that, that they've been trying to build. So I don't, I don't think the timing is perfect right now, unless they're a lot higher on where they were last year than, you know, maybe the public perception is. So yeah, he certainly is good, but I agree with you that the timeline is certainly awkward unless his deal can be lengthened. And it seems like the Pacers moved this summer too, right? They, they, Kept their powder dry for future seasons to make a bigger splash in future seasons instead of right this second. So I. He, look, he's good. If good players are available, you have to sniff around on it, but I think it would take a little bit of change of that landscape for it to actually happen.
0: Yeah, it almost seemed like, too, that um, yeah, Toronto in, in this situation would want to be obviously rebuilding, and it doesn't look like that they're obviously rebuilding. So that that's why – I mean, just beyond the rumors, they're great to talk about. I just didn't know, you know how actually true the deeply rooted interest might be for the Pacers.
1: Yeah, and the other thing I would add, too, if you're Toronto, right – and you're kind of stuck and you've lost Van Vliet and Leonard and Lowry for very little over the last three years. If you think there's a chance you're going to lose Siakam and Atlanta's not up in the trade offer to the point you want, you might want to get it out there. The other teams are interested, right? Make the Hawks have to bring a little more to the table for this stuff. So, I don't know that that is or isn't the case, but there's just so many factors at play that, to me, make me think, yeah, maybe the Pacers have some interest if he's truly available. I think every team should have some, yeah, but I don't think it's as much as it's been kind of made out to be.
0: I mean, he may 24 points a game would be fantastic, and and I, I mean, I don't know what you know, the price tag may end up being as far as rostered players. I mean, there was a rumor out there that uh, the Pacers didn't want Nimhart as a part of it, and Toronto did whatever. But uh, 24 points a game, nothing to sneeze at whatsoever.
1: No, no, he's really good. And, this is like, you know, 24-8 and whatever, six, I think, last year? Like, that doesn't just happen. He's really talented. And the other part of it is that playmaking growth that he's had would really take a bit of a burden off of Halliburton when uh, when he's out of the game, which I think would be big for this Pacers team. Like, he just kind of checks a lot of boxes for them as, as a forward, especially who can score. Like, two-time All-NBA guys in their 20s. Just don't come available. Like that's not a thing. Like that's what you save your assets for. So uh, I I don't. Again, I don't think this is necessarily something that's imminent or being heavily pursued. But it it would make sense why any team would want him in theory.
0: It's a Tony East. One final thing regarding the Pacers and this the Siakam rumor that's floating around too. Do you think maybe a, a little bit of this this interest in in pushing it if indeed it's true uh, if this is true and they do have more of just a passing interest than what we've been discussing could it be because of the input they got from Halliburton saying hey you know what this is where I believe we are right now this is where we can be with a wing that you know can give you 24 a game next to miles on the interior I mean you, you think some back and forth dialogue from you know what they did with Halliburton to extend him and what they believe they are right now maybe coming from Halliburton himself
1: Uh, On one hand, I would say yes. I mean, certainly they've relied on Halliburton's input this offseason in terms of the pre-draft process, right? He talked about what him being in all the workouts and what that meant for him. And in free agency, of course, like he called Bruce Brown at, you know, six o'clock when free agency opened, like trying to help that get along. Like I think he is involved in a lot of these decisions. And so if he says, I think Pascal Siakam would help, I think that certainly could be a factor. At the same time, though, you know they have this whole agreement with him, the partnership with the franchise kind of stuff. And I think if you know Tyrese Halberton, you have him for six years, why is the first year the one that you'd want to maximize, right? It seems like something we said earlier, You know his contract length being short doesn't match with six years of Tyrese Halberton and then that asset cost. So, yeah, certainly I think if he said go get him, they would look into it. But I think that their timeline being longer now, because they have him for six years, certainly does not lend itself to Go get Pascal Siakam on his one-year contract right this second.
0: Tony, what are you writing about in closing here?
1: (laughs) Uh, More on Jairus Walker and what he's been able to do out in Summer League. Got a lot of fun stuff. I actually got to talk to him one-on-one, which was pretty fun. Uh, In general, more about their Summer League performances. Stuff they could still do this summer. The winners and losers on their team from free agency. All sorts of good stuff.
0: Tony East is with us, as usual, talking Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. Big numbers here locally, by the way, watching that Saturday Summer League game with the Pacers. So, big numbers, a lot of interested Pacer fans, evidently, on Saturday night. That's a good thing.
1: Yeah, all of Summer League's been really popular this year. And it's funny, there was actually a lot of talk about this out in Vegas. Like, the year Lonzo Ball was out there and that showtime-ish Summer League Lakers team was so much fun. Like, Summer League really took off as an experience. I think now with Quimbaniama playing and everybody having a ton of interest in these picks, and this is not a dead time in the sports calendar, but this year especially because it overlaps with the MLB All-Star break, people are really dialed into Summer League this year in a way that, you know, I haven't seen since that Lonzo ball team five, six years ago. Really fun to see everybody, you know, really into the rookies and really into these teams. And, of course, the French kid really helped him. Mean, it was his yeah. games were something else out there, JMB.
0: Tony, I appreciate you, man. Have a great weekend.
1: Of course. Thanks for having me, as always.
2: Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
1: Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Here's the co host, Kevin Bowen, who joins us. Now you guys are giving away tickets for that show. How much do you know about Steely Dan?
2: Boy, uh, very, very little. Should I Should I know more?
0: How much do your parents know about Steely, Dan? They're probably more my age.
2: Um, I, I would guess a little bit more. Honestly, I remember a former Reds player that had a name very close to Dan Steely or Dan Staley from a few years ago, <laughs> and, that, and that's not the only reference that I have.
0: So you, that's all you know about Steely Dan, huh?
2: Yeah, I, I, I can't say. I mean, I'd certainly know i would think more and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong i would definitely know more eagle songs right
0: no there's no doubt about it no doubt about it yeah yeah uh, walter becker passed away um two or three years ago uh, that- donald donald fagan in steely Dan certainly he and walter becker were incredible i saw them both together uh this was years ago chris hagan uh, jeff watson a friend of mine I uh, saw them at the Raul National Center, which was an awesome show when they were together. Um, again, I've tried to explain this to others. Yeah, I mean, you don't have Glenn Fry, uh, obviously, who has passed away. So, you, you know, Vince Gill is in for the Eagles. You don't have Walter Becker. But, you know, the, the music that was written in Donald Fagan certainly was a tremendous part of it. It is still going to be a hell of a show. So I was just kind of curious your knowledge on Steely Dan.
2: I will say this. Obviously, the pop quiz is a daily occurrence for us in the morning show. And, you know, we've given away our fair share of prizes over the last couple of years with it. I mean, the phone lines are beyond lit up. No doubt. We're giving away tickets here this week long. So, yeah, October 9th, right? I believe that is correct. Uh, it seems like it's going to be a packed show to say the
0: least. Does uh, does query note a lot about Steely Dan and the Eagles?
2: Oh, yeah, Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure we're going to get one of those polls uh, very soon on on Twitter of, you know, what is the most popular uh, eagle song or what is the most popular uh, Steely Dan song?
0: Yeah, you have to ask him tomorrow what uh, Steely Dan means too. So ask him that. Make that a topic okay. on the show in a segment. Okay, promise me. All right, all right, noted. So uh, Kevin Bowen with us. Uh, how um, how deep? Do you think, interest-wise, the Pacers would be with Pascal Siakam? Because this seems this seems like, even though I want this whole thing winning-wise expedited, and I think that would be great, it seems like that this is a little bit far out there to consider the Pacers being that deeply rooted in interest for Siakam. Would you agree?
2: Uh, I would agree there, and I hope that there's not much real interest if I'm going to be totally transparent with you Um, you know I'm all for the Pacers taking swings but I just don't think right now this type of swing is necessary or would be the smartest swing because I, I think when you look at the next kind of handful of seasons with Halliburton on this extension in all likelihood you're going to get one or two big swings to add that that major piece and if I'm going to do that I don't think a guy that just turned 29 is in a contract year who is a really, really good player, but he also needs the ball a whole lot to showcase that he is a really good player. I don't think that's the best type of guy given his age, given the contract, given his style of play to try and, you know, throw into this young corn. You know, I, I just think everybody kind of, and again, I'm not saying the Pacers have this legit interest, but I think, Everyone that wants the Pacers to take some swing from the fences right now just needs to take a deep breath and say, all right, this has been a really, really good last 18 months. There are a lot of promising pieces on this roster. They still have ammo to add to that in the years to come. Let's just see how it works out this year. I mean, let's just let's see what it's like. Tyrese Halliburton, you know, truly running the show for a team that wants to win. I would argue last year there are moments, certainly late in the year, where they didn't want to win. You know, let's see what year two looks like for Benedict Matherin, you know, Andrew Nemhard, you know, Miles Turner now, not with the cloud hanging over him of the contract, you know, Buddy Heald, uh, you know, here in in Indiana, another year with the coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I think it's just time for everybody to take a deep breath with the Pacers and say, all right, things are looking good. Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin, nice additions. Let's try and find your way into that kind of five, six range of the Eastern Conference playoffs and then reassess where you're at. Uh yeah, you know, I guess next next offseason.
0: Well, I don't necessarily always agree with you on this whole taking a deep breath stuff, but I will say this, it just doesn't seem like that like I'm I'm pretty satisfied with what they're trying to do right now. You know what I mean? And it's it's like would I like to see them add twenty four points per game? Yes. But you also have to look even if you do, you're able to bring him back how long a high-dollar contract is going to go for a guy that's going to turn 30 coming up in April, um, and then consider the rest of your team, the age for most on it. It just doesn't seem like that it's that much a part of the equation as has been reported.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, isn't his ideal position the four? So, okay, that means the OB Toppin experiment's pretty much done. You know, he'll, he'll be a free agent next year, that means you've stunted the growth in a substantial manner of Jairus Walker here in year one. And now, let's say Siakam walks in free agency next offseason, you've given away whatever the trade package would look like for him. And, again, Ovi Toppin, by all accounts, you're faced with the same questions you have about him now. And Jairus Walker wouldn't have gotten that, that kind of full you know year one experiment that I think you have right now, given what your depth chart looks like, and how that first and second units will will play out. So, again, Stockham's a really, really good player. But I, I just – I don't think the Pacers are sitting down in Vegas right now, and I and guess I'm using the Vegas analogy with them in the summer league, and they just show up at the table, and they have a ton of chips, and they need to push them all into the middle. I I, I don't let's, – let's let Halliburton, Matherin, and this group, let's see what you've got here. They've got tons of cap space next off season, and they've got two first-round picks, you know, all of those things – are available if they want and and choose to make a move, uh, I I don't think you need to rush into it. Because, again, you're going to have two, I think, big swings at it in the Halliburton extension time frame. Uh, I'm totally fine with them taking a swing somewhat early on in it, but I don't think Siakam makes a whole lot of sense for me.
0: I, I will say this. If it if it came with kind of a hey, this is you know something you can't refuse, you know. If it's such, I, I do think the dude can help, but I, I just it just doesn't seem at all like it makes a lot of sense right here and right now, considering the work that already has has been done with his team. Hey, by the way, I didn't know this until I just saw it. Somebody sent me that the Eagles and Steely Dan have now they got a second show here in Indy. I didn't know that.
2: Wow. Yeah. So what is it, back-to-back? at, at Yeah. It goes Five the
0: ninth, ninth, and the 10th. And a shout-out to Dave Lindquist of IBJ. They, because of popular demand here, overwhelming, in fact, demand, have added shows, second shows in New York City, Boston, Denver, Atlanta, St. Paul, and Indy. So you got the ninth and the 10th, Monday and Tuesday, for the Eagles and Steely Dan
2: at that well shout out to beth our pop quiz caller from today she was beyond thrilled to get on the air and i thought gave a great effort on the pop quiz but like i just said to you john the phone lines have been lit up all week long so that doesn't kind of shock me at all
0: yeah i'm doing farm aid so it's the same thing i mean people wait around want to be a part of farm aid too so it's um mm-hmm. and i love it too i've always been you know well before you were ever on the air Um, I remember back when at the other station, I I would try to, to sell the folks at Live Nation on, hey, sports talk is the absolute best place for you to have ticket giveaways for concerts because it reaches everybody. Because we can do the Eagles and Steely Dan. We can do 50 Cent. We can do Neil Young and Mellencamp and, you know, Farm Aid. We can do Dirks Bentley. It doesn't matter because you're always going to hit somebody with that interest, that genre interest, that demographic, unlike you have other stations that have to go strictly country or strictly R&B or strictly rock. We're different. And that's where all that started. And that's where we are right now. And I'm glad everybody came to that realization because we do work. We do.
2: And that's why you're a pro, in describing that, it sounds like Bruce Brown Jr. will be a fan of Farm Aid, given his musical interest. Big country guy, a
0: huh? Big country huge, guy. Yeah, Farm Aid. Huge
2: country guy.
0: Yeah, so I, it was funny. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but I, I was a little bit shocked when they first— Went after him and, and got, but then, you know, contractually and what they were looking for, I had to remind myself again. Well, this guy brings a defensive pedigree, and that is something they absolutely need. So it made a lot more sense, even with the log jam on the perimeter with those positions that they have right now. You know, a guy that can come in and guard somebody certainly more than what we had witnessed a year ago, with it uh, really happening very rarely. That made a lot more sense, and then contractually. With what you saw, it made a lot more sense.
2: Yeah, that, that second-year team option, I think it was a glorious element for the Pacers. I mean, basically, he's in a contract year, and then you have control over what he does next, next season. So, yeah, that obviously checks the box. And, again, if you're going to overpay, and I, I thought that was, frankly, not the right term to use with Bruce Brown because, A, the Pacers had to pay to get to a salary cap floor – If you're going to give a guy a deal that makes uh, people are like, man, I can't believe NBA players make this much money. You might as well do it for your weaknesses. And to your point, John, you know, obviously defensively is a huge weakness. And I think you can throw him in a variety of roles and he would be comfortable with that. I mean, his career, I think has shown that, that he's played in, in a lot of different roles for a lot of different types of teams. And that's important because I think the Pacers, you know, have a little bit of a log jam there, like you mentioned. So he is used to that and, You know, what I really liked about his game particularly was it it took it to another level in the playoffs. I think oftentimes you see guys where, you know, roles change in the postseason and, you know, they don't react well to it. Or guys just don't live up to, you know, what they were doing on a Tuesday night in February against the Magic. He, He took his game to another level. Um, So I think that is something to to certainly look forward to if you're a Pacers
0: fan. So Kevin Bowen, The Morning Show, Kevin and Query. That's weekday mornings, Monday through Friday here, Uh, 7 until 10 a.m. on the fan. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. As far as Summer League is concerned, individually speaking, we saw them from both, uh, both the first round selections in the second game. Uh, maybe not so much with Shepard in the first. But what I like about it, and as I always kind of temper the enthusiasm on summer league because we know what it is, is what you've been getting consistently out of Jarris Walker is exactly the reason why you selected him number eight overall in the first place. I mean, that's something you can hang your hat on and then kind of move it into how things are going to go for him in his rookie season with the Pacers. I think so far he has done exactly what we thought and what we thought he could do and why they selected him number eight overall.
2: Yeah. I mean, to me, I think he's easily the most encouraging, you know, sign from the first two games. And I don't say that acting like there weren't other positive moments. I think there were, but uh, what he did defensively in particular in game one. And really, I guess it wasn't just all, all defense. I mean, I thought he facilitated well and, you know, moved the ball. I think there was a point in time in high school where he, he was a point guard, and you certainly see that. You know, how many times in the NBA do you see your know, teams double a point guard or a strong wing player and say, All right, we want you to get rid of the ball because you're going to throw it to a liability? Well, if that is Jarris Walker, if you want to double with the guy guarding Walker, he's a guy that when he gets the ball, he can then make a play. He's not a deer in headlights, whether it's with a pass or whether it's with a couple of dribbles or hitting an open shot, he can do that. I thought Doris Burke. Who, the fact that the Pacers fans had to go from Doris Burke to Isaiah Thomas in summer league analyst, um, boy, I, I can't think of a bigger fall-off in, in insight they got. You're not you're not entertained one, by two. Isaiah, I guess? Uh, I think there was one point, John, where for five straight minutes he was talking about the silent E's that are in names and, and uh, Lisa Byington and why it is spelled with an I, her first name. She was the play-by-play woman and not an E, so just riveting stuff to get there um, from our basketball analyst. Um, But Burke, I thought that a great comment late in the game on Saturday night, and that was simply like Jairus Walker is just easy to play with. And I think that is a great compliment, and I think oftentimes for big guys or even like defensive focus guys, that might not be something that you would say about everybody, but you watch Walker play, and he's that. He helps you out on defense. He makes up for guy's mistakes, he can guard, he can rebound, and then offensively, um, you know, I don't don't think the question entering the draft was like, boy, is he ever going to be something on offense? But he certainly has shown me, like, he is not going to be anything close to a liability on offense. He's going to give you something on that end of the floor, and he's not going to be a guy that just no one has to guard, or the scouting report says, yeah, don't even worry about him. He can't dribble, he can't shoot, he can't pass, all those things. He can do that. Uh, to a degree. So, obviously, that's you know, super helpful because that's not his strength. His strength would be on the defensive end, which is obviously why he drafted him.
0: Yeah, and then you know, Shepard, when you're talking about a couple of games in comparison, game one, Saturday, wasn't great. Yeah, game two was much more what you hope to get out of him.
2: Boy, that guy moves. I mean, he is. He's like Energizer Bunny. Watching him run up and down the floor. And yeah, to your point, obviously, game one, he he certainly was super quiet. And then he hit four threes. and I feel like he had close to a double-double in, in rebounds. And I, I'm eager to watch him tonight and Friday and, you know, whenever their final game is as he starts to get, you know, more of that, you know, focal point offensively for him. So, again, I don't know exactly where his fit is in year one, but this is a guy that I probably, when the draft pick happened, I was like, oh, that guy's a good scorer and a good shooter. And that was kind of the the, the full label I gave him. I think there's a little bit more there with that so um, whenever you do figure out the jigsaw of what your guards and wings look like and again chris duarte leaving was kind of the start of that we'll see what else happens with that obviously buddy healed in the contract here uh Shepherd is a guy that i think can you know be some sort of player for you in the league
0: so what now how many days until colts training camp starts is it uh two weeks something like that now
2: yeah, two weeks from today, right? First well, practice. So, so report day is 13 days away. So we'll hear from some players. Hear from Chris Ballard on that Tuesday, the 20. What would that be, the 25th? And then Wednesday, the 26th. Uh, first, first practice.
0: Day. Were you like me? Whenever uh, Jim Irsay was on with Pat a couple of days ago, and you know, described the current situation of Shaquille Leonard, uh, less than enthusiastic about where this thing is going.
2: You know, honestly, I thought my description when I heard it, I I was actually watching it live. For those that go back and watch it, my thought when he said it was exactly how Pat McAfee responded body language-wise. As soon as Pat, you know, Pat, you know, is in one of those kind of Pat moments, he's like jotting down notes, because it was close to the end of the show, you could tell Pat was up against it a little bit, and. You know, the first comment he makes is, you know, Jonathan Taylor's fully healed. And, you know, Pat's nodding his head. Like, okay, good news, good news. And then he starts to read, you know, whatever the quote is about, we feel like, you know, Shaq's got a chance and he's working hard and he's getting a little better each day. Certainly the body language told everything that you needed to know. And I think how pretty much everybody responded to that comment. You know, not to like overly analyze Jim or say comments because, boy, that could be a really well. Really- we've
0: we've done that so much in the past. I mean, we have a great deal of experience doing that, going through the Andrew Luck era. So,
2: <laughs> sure, uh, and I guess it is part of the job. But I, you know, Jake, and I had a little bit of this debate. I don't. When he says he has a chance, I, I tend to think like that was a little bit more of be ready for the start of training camp, not like he has a chance to play again or, or, or something like. I, I I don't know if we're there yet with him. Uh, Now, again, having said that, we obviously need to see Leonard practice for multiple weeks. Hell, we probably need to see him play multiple games before you even talk about him anywhere near the light that you used to. Because last year when he was on the field for those 75 snaps, he he was a liability, frankly, more often than he was an impactful player for you. So, um, obviously, when, you know, report A rolls around here in 13 days, him opening up on the pup list, the physically unable – the performless or not will be something to watch, but I, I tended to think that was more of a, he has a chance to be maybe ready week one, uh, you know, for, for camp, start of the season, what one of those things, and not like the full-on, this is Andrew Luck, he's going to announce his retirement here in a week.
0: I, I think that they that in this case, he's learned a lesson in the past regarding Andrew Luck, and his, that's all he has to offer, because I, I don't think they know And if they do have an inkling of knowing they do have an inkling, it's negative. So it's not just me because people think, oh, you're just Mr. Negative about this. I am not because there's not been one reason to be positive. And normally, I mean, if something is going the right way uh, and, you know, and Leonard, for example, has been on social media platforms and looked at it. You haven't heard anything from him. I'm glad he's not a part of it. That's good. It's probably um, counterproductive to where he is right now, I would think. But I would also think at the same time, you know, given his past, that if he were in a spot where he felt really good, he'd be telling somebody a little bit about it. So I just – Yeah. I think everybody just beyond not knowing Kev, uh, beyond that, would be incredibly skeptical about expecting too much so
2: yeah uh, and you know again i'm not i don't think i live in some doom and gloom negative mindset but for those that are are choosing to be positive about this I, i just think you're also choosing to live in a world that's not reality and it's extremely naive given his injury and the type of player he is and i think that is so important to remember about this situation again we're talking about a guy that 13 months ago had his first back surgery um you know, they obviously didn't think anything of his injury through the first six months of last offseason. You know, there was something serious at the end of last year, and, I, and now I'm going back, I guess, two seasons ago. So if they would have thought something was serious at the end of the 2021 season, you'd have done something in January, February, March. That's your time to take care of injuries. That's your time to take care of surgeries, of guys that you feel like need that. Jonathan Taylor's ankle surgery earlier this year. Yeah, get that done early in the calendar and let him heal. They, they get to June of last summer and then Leonard has the first back surgery. And then Jeff Saturday walks in the building in November, and he watches Leonard at practice. He's like, dude, something is majorly wrong. Like, I mean, you are – stop this. Like, you, you, you do not need to be trying to push it, all this thing. You know, when I was a player, when there was anything nerve-related, you've got to take care of that. So that's when he has the second back surgery in November. So we're talking two back surgeries in a four-month span in the last pretty much – you know, 13 months if you want to look at the entire calendar. And then we're talking about the type of player. And the type of player is not some, you know, 330-pound offensive guard that his movement in a given game is not a lot. We're talking about a dude that plays 215 pounds soaking wet. And if he's not in his peak athletic, rangy, sideline-to-sideline, I'm doing backflips before the game in the end zone type of guy, then he can look like a liability out there, and that's what he was last season. So, again, I, I, I don't know how anyone can look at this overly optimistic given the nature of the injury, the amount of surgeries, two back surgeries to relieve leg pain, and the fact that his skill set has to be in just that crazy athletic speed, lateral movement type of guy.
0: Nah, I would agree with you on that, too. And I just, I, I just think that there's more than us that would be skeptical. And uh, Hopefully we're all wrong, proven wrong by him. That'd be great. But uh, that's just kind of where I believe it is right now. Kevin Bowens with us. You know, Jim also mentioned um, to Pat, he's, I, I guess, like me, I'm assuming like you as well, he wants to see Anthony Richardson out there as quickly as possible.
2: Yep, yep. Sign me up. Uh, play, him, play him week one. Shane Steichen can manage the play call sheet, however he would like. Uh, But yeah, I think you got to play him. You got to play him as quickly as possible. Um, I'm not this believer of like him getting reps or getting his feet wet with like, you know, red zone packages and short yardage situations would be overly beneficial. I think you need to expose him into, you know, elements that really test him and where he needs to grow. And obviously those would be accuracy and just, Simple like adversity stuff you know how do you bounce back how do you you know play in a two-minute situation how do you play in the fourth quarter of a one score game felt like he was in a ton of those at Florida I mean that was a, a six and six football team last year so even the, the, the those big kind of magnitude moments yes he played in the SEC but those were not kind of on, on a weekend week out basis and i I just don't hear a lot of argument the only argument that I hear is the only argument that I would listen to is like if your o-line just looks absolutely horrific and you feel like you're risking injury that's the only one i can listen to if you're worried about him mentally then i'd make the argument that you didn't draft the right quarterback anyways um you need a quarterback that can handle right well, and that's and the down. conversation we don't want to have
0: i mean if they, if they if we're in a situation where we have to have that conversation that is not good at all
2: yeah um so that's something that i don't even think you want to really entertain no so doubt. Unless your offensive line is, you know, playing Olay and and you know, really, um, if you look at Richardson, he's a guy that I thought handled that pretty well at Florida, of just having poise and his ability to avoid sacks and those sorts of things. Again, Shane Steichen gets paid a lot of money to script something up to keep him protected, yet evaluate him in this rookie season because, again, the quicker you find these answers, the better it is, or the easier it is to kind of maneuver from here and seeing what pieces you need and how you need to continue to support him moving forward. And, of course, it's something you have to bring up. But, God forbid, it just goes absolutely horrific for Richardson in year one. And you're sitting there drafting one or two next year. There's obviously a decision you have to make there about, you know, what you would do quarterback-wise. Again, I don't think it's going to go down that path, but that is certainly another reason that um, you would would play him early on. Yeah, and and to me – uh,
0: this is, again, much different than a lot of other running back situations in the NFL. You have to have, because you talked about support, whether it's the offensive line, uh, those around him offensively receivers, but you need a high level of year-before-last type of support from Jonathan Taylor, which makes him more essential here than anybody else might be at a running back position around the NFL. Not to win the division, not to be big in the AFC postseason, but to bring help support your inexperienced quarterback and bring him along. This makes Jonathan Taylor's situation here at running back different than anybody else's.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, I probably come back to the thought of I, I just don't draft or I wouldn't draft running backs in the first three rounds. And again, that's a debate to have several years ago, not the current state of where you're at right now because you are in such a dire need for playmaking. Um, I I wouldn't want to see an extension four or five years down the road, but something in the short term certainly makes sense for the reasons that you just laid out. Um, But running back investment and positional investment has been a massive issue for Chris Ballard. There's been a stubbornness to his approach that finally, with this year's draft, I think we saw a major change in that approach with, with the actual positions these guys played and where they were drafted. But You know, I think it's a conversation you you and I have had prior, John. You know, if you look at, you know, four guys in particular that, that Chris Ballard has either drafted or, you know, in DeForest Buckner's case, acquired via draft pick, when you talk about Taylor, you talk about Buckner, you talk about Quentin Nelson, you talk about Darius Leonard, and all four of those guys, at some point in their careers, they have been the best or one of the best players at their position.
1: I mean, all of them
2: have either been all pro or very close to being an all pro, and yet what you've got to show for that as a team is no division titles and one playoff win. And, you know, th- that playoff win was even, you know, before Buckner got here, you know, before Taylor was, was drafted. So when you look at that, that has to tell you everything you need to know about your, you know, positional um, importance and, and how you've acquired players at those spots. You know, that's a running back at the guard, that's a D tackle at the linebacker. If those four guys played, you know, whiteout, let's not even say quarterback, cornerback, left tackle, wide out and D-end, we'd be talking about this team in a totally different light over the last handful of years than we have. And that, again, gets back to the Taylor debate. Right here, right now, in the present, totally makes sense in my mind for a two- or three-year extension. You know, selfishly I might say, yeah, play out the end of the rookie contract, throw the franchise tag on him. but I know that's not reality. But it goes back to the draft and drafting a guy in the second round. And now you sit here and you have debate over how long he should be here. That's why you don't invest as much as you did in the positions that they have.
0: Well, I just I think right now and again to support Anthony Richardson with all of what we want to see out of him sooner rather than later, you have to have that playmaking support. And it just, it's, it's just, to me, different than it is anyplace else. And it's weird how it's all happened. I mean, it's how we're here with Anthony Richardson because things didn't work. It's how we're here in – you know, making a decision at that position with Jonathan Taylor, uh, unlike any other team would make a decision with a running back with their roster around the NFL and it's just been kind of some stumbles and fumbles and bumbles going on. You know what I mean? That's kind of how we're all here right now where we are.
2: And, you know, honestly, John, it's probably why I'm a much bigger advocate in giving Michael Pittman the type of payday that I think a lot of people don't want to give him. Um, you cannot skimp support for Richardson. You, you, you cannot take shortcuts there whatsoever. Is Michael Pittman on paper worth the type of contract? His agent is probably going to want no for his client. Yeah. No, but look at the quarterbacks that you have given him. And, again, you, you just you cannot skimp on – you can't tell Anthony Richardson – yeah, man. Going into year two, we've got Alec Pierce and Josh Downs going into year three and year two. Like, no, like that. You have to continue to, I think, retain what you have. And then obviously add more pieces to those
0: skill spots. Well, and Kev, I can't sit here and whine and cry for how many years about you. You got to have wide receivers. You got to have support. You got to you know make sure that you're good in that category. And the first time that you got to re-up somebody and give them more money, say, oh, you know, that's okay. They're expendable. Because in this case, with the Colts, which is different than a lot of others, uh, it is a priority. It should be prioritized, even if you don't believe, and even if it's overvalued, which I think you say accurately it is going to be you just got to have it and i can't sit around here for three years and whine and cry about it and then say well you know this doesn't make sense right now that's a bit hypocritical
2: especially when your quarterback's 21 years old and has 13 college starts. so yeah i, I i'd be given all of that um yes i would agree wholeheartedly
1: with you there
0: all right man so uh hey, b- hey by the way when what uh the date again on our golf outing it's august the 18th right
2: Yes, so that is uh-huh. the last I guess it follows the end of training camp. So I think you're gonna be out there right for those Bears joint practice days yep. on that Wednesday and Thursday. And then the obviously the Colts preseason home opener will be that Saturday. So I think that is the perfect opportunity to do a little PTO action, join us at the back nine for a little Friday getaway and have some drinks. Uh, and again I, I, I cannot I was I was I was darn impressed by how you're pounding the driver. A couple of weeks ago when we were out there so i'm looking forward to seeing more of that in action out of you well
0: you know i fell off a ladder before i came to work today
2: <laughs> so I, <laughs> I,
0: mean, I uh oh boy yeah oh boy. it is not good i fell on the concrete too and i fell on my my shoulder and my leg and my my ankle is is a little swollen my shoulder i can't lift my shoulder can't lift my elbow above my chest right now <sighs>
2: God, so and I get a man. cut
0: I got a cut on my arm and it's I was a mess. You're getting old. I wasn't getting old. I was stupid. I stood on the top. The top where it says don't stand, I stood there. And then it uh yeah. it went one way and I came right behind it. So yeah.
1: Well
2: the good news is you can, you know, all you gotta do is hit a little chip shot at the back nine, the ball is gonna roll forever. You can get to those screens. And Swing left handed
0: driver. Yeah. Left handed. Sure. <laughs> Don't have to. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have a big shot of drugs well before August the 18th. So I should be good (laughs) by then. I'm going to get drugged up. All right, brother. I appreciate you. All right, John. Have a great week.